Uh, we're continuing our series. Um, uh, one of my kids last night said, Dad, are you a, is this the last week in Joshua? You're going to do like an eight-week series. And I goes like, no, we're just getting started, son. Uh, we're just, uh, we're, I'm just loving this series. I'm getting such great feedback from you guys. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 7 this week and next week. And just, um, just really excited what the Lord uh, has for us in this. If you weren't here last week, um, we left off the story of Joshua um, at the Battle of Jericho. And they, they defeated Jericho. They won. The walls came falling down. And they went in and they, they, they took the city. It's the first city as they're possessing the promises that God has for them. And, and that's what our series has been all about, about being strong and courageous. And as we walk in the presence and the power of God, as he promised to be with Joshua, so he promises to be with us as we are, have hearts of surrender and obedience towards him, that we too can experience what he has intended for us in our lives. But the story we come to today in chapter 7 uh, kind of throws us a curveball uh, because what happens is is, well, we'll get into that in a little bit. But the title of my sermon is, I don't know if we'll have it up here, we're having all kinds of craziness with our computer systems, but if you have the app, you'll see that the title of the sermon is, Sin Gets You Aching. Sin Gets You Aching. Because the name, the name of the guy is Aching, and that's how we say aching from Oklahoma, where I'm from, aching. So it's kind of a play on words there, but sin, it really will get you aching, just as Aching found out. And that's what we'll see because what he tried to do is take a shortcut. You ever notice shortcuts don't work? They really, really don't. I remember when I moved here in uh, 22, 23 years ago, um, I was always getting stuck on Glenstone because we lived on the east side of town at that time. And I was always getting stuck on Glenstone. And where I come from, you know, roads go north and south and they go through and they're straight. And so I thought, well, why is everybody stuck on this one road? I'm going to take a Sure, I'll find a way through these neighborhoods. Yeah, that didn't happen, did it? Everything's a cul-de-sac. You get off our main roads here in Springfield, there's just cul-de-sacs everywhere. And, and that's kind of how it is with sin, is we think we can get to our destination quicker and easier of what it is that we want. But what we find out is it's a, it's a dead end. It, it doesn't work. And, and, and what happens is, is it, it just starts off like slow, doesn't it? It just starts off a little bit, and it just goes a little bit more and a little bit more, because sin... What we discovered this morning, sin really is a process. Um, so the story starts, I need to start the story at chapter 6, verse 19, uh, so you can kind of be caught up with it. Because they, they've gone in, as they're defeating Jericho, the instruction is, don't touch the things that are valuable. They were called the devoted things, the devoted to the Lord. You know, the gold, the silver, the, everything that was valuable, because the first of, of the, the treasury of what they were going to get in Jericho belonged to the Lord. It was his. And that's a principle that is still true for us today, that the first belongs to the Lord. And we're instructed of our finances, the tithe, the first 10%. It's his. It's not ours. It belongs to him. And so we want to give to him what's his. And I can tell you that if you, if, you, if you do that in your finances, there's a supernatural miracle that happens in your finances. Can anybody give testimony to that? Can you say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it really is. And you want to know what else? If you start the first of your day with Jesus, how many know your day goes better, doesn't it? If you start the first of your week, giving him the very first of your week on Sunday, your week goes better, doesn't it? If you give him the first of your year, that's why we do 21 days of prayer of fasting at the beginning of the year, because you give him the first part of the year, and, and he does amazing things in that year. It's just, there's a principle, the first 
always belongs to him. And so that was the principle that was laid out again in, in, in Jericho. Hey, the first things belong to the Lord, and so don't touch them. So uh, verse 19 says, But all the silver, gold, vessels of bronze, iron are consecrated. They're the devoted things to the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Okay, so that's the instruction. So let's go to chapter 7. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimrah, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. You know why I love all the genealogy? Because you know that it's real, right? They're saying, it'd be like saying, these guys are from, these guys are from Arkansas and their name is Smith. Yeah, no, but I'm not making, I know I make fun of Arkansas a lot. It really wasn't a joke. But, but, um, but so they're from, they're from this place. They're from this tribe. They're, they're Smiths. They're from Joe Smith's family, and it's Joe Smith's son, John. John Smith. That's, I mean, it's like, it's real people. That's how we know the Bible is not just made up. Like, there's real genealogy. It's historically accurate. And so this real person named Achan, he kept the devoted things, the things that belonged to the Lord. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region, which is what they did that with Jericho. Now they're doing it with Ai. Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, and they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries, struck them down on the slopes, and at this, their hearts, at this the hearts of the people melted of fear and became like water. So it had been true of everybody else regarding them. Now they, their hearts are melting in fear. Now, you've probably heard a sermon on this chapter before. You've probably heard uh, this story before. And, and I know I have, and I know usually, there's usually two takes that that preachers take on this, on this passage. One of the takes, one of the approaches is that Israel failed because they were self-confident and trusted in their own strength. That, that they, they just went for it and they went in their own strength. Oh, we got this. We'll just, send, we'll just send a few thousand. We don't need everybody. We got this. And they took for granted that God would be with them. I don't know if you ever heard a sermon like that. I've, I've heard sermons like that. And I'm telling you, it's easy preaching, right? That's, you can preach that. That's easy preaching. Another approach is that Israel failed because of lack of prayer. They didn't see God before they preached, approached Ai. They didn't consecrate themselves. They didn't, they didn't pray. They didn't seek the Lord. So they were going without the Lord's direction. That's another way that this passage is often presented. And I'm telling you, that preaches easy too. That preaches well too. And, and really, I mean, both those principles can be true. You don't want to walk in self-confidence. You do want to walk trusting the Lord. And you do want to pray and seek his will and directions, right? I mean, those things are, are true. That's why it's easy to apply it here. But that's really not what's going on. What the text really tells us is something that's not so easy to preach. And that's called sin. That's called sin. In fact, we see here in verse 1, but Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. It was Achan who did it, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. His anger burned because they were unfaithful. Uh, That was the reason they were destroyed. Uh, Verse 12, therefore the Israelites were unable to stand before their enemies. They turned their backs on the enemies because, this is because, they have become a thing devoted for destruction themselves. Because they took the thing, they became the thing. How many know when you take sin... It destroys you. 
It really does. And so, and then this is the most sobering verse in the whole story. It's the hinge pin on which the story turns. The Lord says, I will be with you no more. You remember he had promised to be with them as they were faithful. He would, Moses had said, Lord, don't, Lord, don't you do that. Don't leave us, Lord. You're not with us. We can't do this. Joshua, the Lord had continually promised Joshua he would be with him. He would be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted, the devoted things from among you. So the reason that Israel failed, the reason they experienced this anger of God which burned toward them is because of Achan's actions and it affected everybody. It had an impact on everybody. And, and I, think, I think that we really discount the impact of sin. I think we really discount the impact of disobedience, of unfaithfulness, of unbelief. And, I mean, I'm telling you, when you're a pastor, you want to preach positive messages. You know, you want to, you want to inspire people. You want, I mean, our church is called Grace Church. Right? We believe in grace, but there's grace because there's sin. Grace is so great because sin is so bad. And we can't just live life and not take sin and disobedience to the Lord and unfaithfulness and unbelief. We can't not take it seriously because it is so, so serious. And this passage tells us how serious it is. This helps remind us how serious it is. And we're thankful for grace, aren't we? I bet I can get an amen on that one, right? We're thankful for grace. But Paul said, he goes, well, because there's grace, does that mean you should have sinned even more? And Apostle Paul's like, no way. God forbid. There's no way you should live life like that. You don't sin more. You sin less because of the grace of God. And so, you know, our culture can call sin a lot of things, can't we? We can call them bad habits, right? It's sin. It's sin. Character flaws, oopsies, right? We call our sin oopsies, don't we? Confusion. I was confused, right? No, you sinned, right? Psychological flaws. That's another one we can say. But you know what the problem with calling something other than sin If you call it something other than sin, there's not a very good resolution to it. But when it's sin, man, you can repent of that. And the grace of God takes care of it. His mercy is upon us. And so repentance is one of the most beautiful things that exists. But we have to acknowledge the sin, not bury it, not hide it, but acknowledge it and deal with it. So in chapter 7 this morning, we're going to look at the process of sin. The process of sin. Because we'll see this process that Achan walks through, and I think every single one of us will recognize that we have given way to the very same process in our life as well. So let's skip to, to verse 20. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just fill you in on the details. So this is what happens. So the 36 guys are killed. They don't know what's going on. Joshua humbles himself. The people humble themselves. They seek God. They're like, God, what, what did we do wrong? What's going on? They call out that God would honor his name, that he would take care of his people. They weren't complaining. They were just trying to figure, well, God, what's going on? So God showed them what was going on, and then gave them a process to discover who was the one that had taken the devoted things. And so Achan is exposed, and we come to verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. And I'm going to encourage you to, to circle some verses in your Bible, or circle some words. He, he, he said in verse 21, when I saw, circle the word saw there. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 
200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold, 50 shekels. I coveted, circle the word coveted, and I took them, circle the word took. And there they were, hidden, circle the word hidden, in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers, they ran to the tent. Sure enough, there it was, hidden in his tent. With the silver under it, they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua, to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the, the, the garment, the gold, the silver, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, and his tent, all that he had, and they brought them, circle word brought them, to the valley of Achor, and said to them, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And so here we're going to see a, a, a process. In fact, if you put that process up here, this is a process. So he, can, he saw what he wanted. He coveted what he saw. He took what he coveted. He hid what he took. His sin was exposed, and he and his family died. So let's walk through this process. So first of all, Achan saw what he wanted. Okay, he saw it, right? He had lust of the eyes, right? He saw, he, he looked, he saw, he noticed the robe. Man, that's a nice robe. He saw the gold, he saw the silver. It got his attention. But you know what? How many know he wasn't the only one that saw these things? Everybody else saw them too because they were supposed to take them and give them to the treasury of the Lord. So he responded differently. And that's the first part of the process. This right here is the easiest way. Like if this is, we were to call this the sin train, right? If this is the easiest way to get off the sin train right here. It hasn't even left the station yet. And you see something and you are, you're looking and it's, and you know when you see something and then you see something, you know what I mean? You, you, or you have a thought and then you really start thinking about it. So, so this is the point to get off. This is a point that it's really e- the easiest to stop this opportunity because we're all tempted, aren't we? Right? Even Jesus, he was tempted in the wilderness. And I think sometimes we forget how alluring sin really is. That it is true that sin really is pleasurable for a season. That there is this initial benefit from it. This initial thing that, that you feel, that you like. And this is, what, this is what he said. He says, when I saw among the spoil. I, he goes, I, I saw this. He wanted the prestige, the influence of this nice Babylonian garment. He began to, to feel the, the silver and the gold. And he ached to be, to, for this materialism and to be respected. And to have these things that he really, really wanted. He saw. He saw it. But how many know things aren't always what they appear, are they? They're not always what they seem. I don't know if you know this or not. You may. I mean, you may. It's public information. But do you know there's 8 million cats and 11 million dogs in New York City? Yeah, I don't know if you, maybe you knew that. But if you didn't, there you go. 8 million cats, 11 million dogs in New York City. So there's a story I read this week. Of a, of, of, so, so, so there's this problem in New York City, okay? Where do you bury your dead animals? If you've been to New York City, you know, people don't have backyards, right? So you have all these millions of animals, where do you bury them? So the city decided, well, we'll start picking up your dead animals and disposing of them for you for 50 bucks. That's what, that's what the fee would be at the time of this happened, 50 bucks. So people did that. And, but there was a lady that saw a good business opportunity. And so she started putting flyers out across the city that she would pick up your dead Fluffy for $25, just $25. And so 
And so she'd start getting calls. And, and what she would do is she'd go to the Salvation Army and she would buy a suitcase for $2, take this to you know, the house and get Fluffy, put Fluffy in the suitcase, and then take the suitcase to the subway station. And as she was waiting on a train, just kind of not pay attention to the suitcase, and sure enough, every time a thief would come, would grab the suitcase and take off running. And she would make a big deal over it. Hey, stop him, stop him. How many of you know when those thieves got home, what they expected wasn't what they got, was it? That's how sin is. You expect one thing, and you get something else. So the first thing he did was he saw. The second thing is he coveted what he saw. He says, and then I coveted. What does coveted mean? It means to wish for, to desire, to long for, to have warm feelings for something. I mean, that's our world's definition of love, but that's not what love is. That's what coveting is. It's what wanting something is like that. It's the last, to not covet is the last of the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, the Lord really wanted us to know how serious this is. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. The Lord's saying, watch out for this, because it comes for every one of us of wanting these things. And this is the thing, is the robe and the silver and the gold, like they weren't bad in and of themselves, right? They just didn't belong taken. They belonged to the Lord's. And so in disbelief and unbelief and in disobedience, rebellion, he took what wasn't his because he had that, that covetousness in his heart. And you know what's so like really sad about this story? Is as they take the next cities, they're going to be blessed. So there's going to be so much. God's going to take care of everything. There, this is the land flowing of milk and honey. He just was taking a shortcut. He wouldn't, he wouldn't hold out for the best that God had for them. And, and that's really, isn't that really what sin is? Is sin is trying to get us to take a shortcut, right? Because that's what happened in the, in, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, that, that the, the God's plan was for them to come to knowledge, to have knowledge and wisdom as the, as the Lord does, but through relationship. As they walked in the garden, it was all supposed to happen through relationship, but they shortcut, they tried to shortcut that and bypass the relationship because they were tempted to eat the fruit of the garden that would then give them instant access as a shortcut to what God had intended to happen through relationship. In the, in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted to try to take a shortcut to his dominion. And what the enemy tries to get us to do is take shortcuts to, to sidetrack us because we end up in cul-de-sacs when we do that every, every time. It always happens. You know, I've discovered that, that I read an article online that, that worms don't usually get in the middle of an apple from the outside. That what happens is that an insect lays its larva or lays an egg on uh, like an apple blossom. And then as that apple blossom turns into fruit, that, that egg, that larva of the worm is already in the inside of it, the heart of that apple. And then as it hatches, that worm eats its way to the outside. You know, that's kind of like how sin is. We try to always think of sin coming from the outside in. But James tells us that it's often conceived right in our own hearts. That we have issues in our own hearts and in our own minds. And as we dwell on things, as we think on those things, then those thoughts become words and those words become actions. 
And we try to, we try to always focus all this on the outside stuff. But really, the issue is like right in here. The issue is with Achan's heart. The issue wasn't with the stuff. It was with his heart, with his disobedience disobedience. Jesus said, and he said, don't be like the Pharisees. Woe to them because everything looks good on the outside of their life, but inside they're corrupt. He used an example of like a dirty dish. He said, the outside of the dish is beautiful, but the inside is rotten and molded. He said, don't be like that because holiness, purity, walking with the Lord comes from the inside out. Jesus said this, he said, for from within out of the heart of man, precedes evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. Where does murder come? It comes from the heart. It starts in the heart. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So he saw, and then he took, or then he coveted, and then number three, he took what he coveted. So he saw, he coveted, and then he took what he coveted. Because it says, right, I, I coveted them and I took them. See, we're starting, it's starting to, to start, the sin's starting to manifest here. We're starting to see it. You know, I'm sure everybody else saw. I'm sure there may have been some other people that wanted some of the, some of the goods, some of the devoted things. But he actually took them. He actually took them. And you know what I think at this point? I think at this point, if Achan would have, would have repented, I think if he would have, as he, after he took those, he's headed back to his tent, right? He's headed back to his tent, and he realizes conviction of God is on him, and he realizes, you know what? This isn't right. This wasn't what I was instructed to do. And he would have taken that to Joshua and to the priest and devoted it to the Lord. You know what? He would have been okay. He would have been okay. And so we find ourselves in this process of sin. We'll find ourselves thinking things or seeing things. We'll find ourselves coveting or wanting or desiring, and then we'll find ourselves taking them. And that is a, at that moment, a good time to get off the sin train and to, and to not do that. And so let's, let's follow the story here. And so what he, what he does here is this, this is basically, it's a, it's a declaration of independence from God that I don't, I don't, I can do this without you, Lord. I can do this because it's interesting. He calls them spoils in verse 21. He calls them spoils. They weren't spoils. They were devoted things of the Lord. And Isaiah says, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Have you guys noticed that's like really prevalent today? Of people calling things that are, that are good not good and things that are not good at all, saying, Oh, that's, that's fine. That's no big deal. Woe to them. Woe to them. And so look what he did next. The next thing he did was he hid what he took. He hid what he took. I coveted them, I took them, and behold, they were concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So he buried it. He buried it. Isn't, isn't human tendency to bury our sin? Don't we do that? Don't we just want to bury our sin? Don't we want to hide our sin? It's so common. It's what we do. That's what Adam and Eve did, right? They hid from God. They wanted to bury their sin. That's one of the characteristics of it. And how foolish of Achan to think that God couldn't see his sin, right? How foolish to him to think it wouldn't be exposed. Hebrews 4.13 says, All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Amos 3.9 warns us that whether sinners run to the top of the mountains or dive in the bottom of the seas, God will find them and judge them. Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 12.14, For God shall bring every work into judgment, 
And every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Jeremiah 16, 17. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. Let me just say this. You can't hide your sin from the Lord. Like, And I know we know that. But do we really live that way? I think when we discover sin in our life, because, okay, we can break this, like this is a nice six-point sermon, you know. It's a very logical progression. But how many know like sin in the moment isn't like that, is it? Like it's like all of it happened in just a few seconds sometimes. You know, you respond in anger, and you sin in a response of anger, whatever it might be, and it's happened so fast. But if we could like be, take like a movie and take a scene, a sin scene in our life, and we could like slow it down, and we could stretch it out, and we could see these points where, oh, I could have, that was, as it says in Corinthians, he always makes a way of escape. Oh, that was a way of escape. Oh, that, oh I missed that opportunity. And so as we look at this, it's so important we realize, you know what? When we discover sin in our life, is. The Holy Spirit convicts us of this. We realize as we're, as we're grappling with an issue, we're just struggling with something, that our tendency is to bury it, is to hide it. But God already knows, right? So talk to Him about it. Just expose it to Him, right? How many know there's different? Like, how, many, how many times you know there's always something different? Like your kids, right? When they confess or when they get caught, right? Like which do they get better... better um, treatment for or what i mean say sometimes there's would it be fair to say that sometimes there's less consequences when your kids kids confess as opposed to being caught i mean there's a difference between confessing your kids get caught and then they lie about it right there's a difference in how you respond to that and and the deal is like we can't hide our sin from god god sees the porn god sees the bitterness god sees the unforgiveness God sees the gossip, right? So why fake it? Why hide it? Why not just be real with God? He can handle it, right? He sees it all anyway. You know, he sees it all you know that social scientists have done research, and the three times where people are the most fake, okay, the three times they, they appear to be something different when they are, there's three times. The first time is... And this is, there's actual science done on this. The first time is when people walk into a fancy hotel lobby. Have you ever noticed that? You walk into a fancy hotel lobby and you just kind of walk different, you know? Like, yeah, this is nice. I like this. Yeah. You just, you, you just you act different, right? And the other one is in a, in a car showroom, right? Because you're trying to hide the fact you really want that car. You like that car? No, I don't like it at all. Don't, don't like yet. Yeah, no, it's all right, you know. He's just trying to hide. You know what the third one is? Church. Fancy hotel lobbies, car showrooms, and church. Scientifically proven that people act different in church, that they put on airs, that they, you know, put on your Sunday best, right? That's not what the Lord wants. He's looking for an authentic people of a community that walk and trust in Him. So we don't want to bury it. And then the fifth thing is that his sin was exposed. His sin was exposed, right? Verse 22, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was. 
hidden in the tent, buried the silver underneath it. They took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua. And look at this. Like, have you ever had this happen with your sin? He brought them to Joshua and the Israelites, and they spread all of his sin out in front of everybody in the Lord, right? Have you ever felt like you've been caught and you feel totally naked, right? Have you ever had that feeling? It's horrible. Horrible. But this is what happens. Sin, sin gets exposed. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And the one who, sees, who sows to please his sinful nature, from that sinful nature, he will reap destruction. There's a promise in Numbers 32, 23. How many of you love the promises of God? Yeah, I love the promises of God. Here's one for you. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. <laughs> it's a promise. Your sin will... And have you ever felt like that? Like we try to hide our sin, we try to bury our sin. But for me, this is me, right? For me, my sin, I bury it and it crawls up out of the ground and it chases me and it finds me and it exposes me and it humiliates me in front of those that I've sinned against. Anybody else have sin treat you? That's what it does to me. I, I don't ever get away with anything, ever. Sin fi- my sin always finds me, and it always exposes me. But you know what? I'm thankful for that. Because then you repent. Then you ask forgiveness. Then you make restitution. And you do what's right. Because if not, there's death. And that's the last part of the process. He and his family died. That's what it says, verse 24 through 26. They got them all together, everybody, because our sin impacts more than just us. You can say, hey, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. That's a lie. That's a lie. Because God has made us relational people. You're in family. You're in, you're in your immediate family. You're in the family of God. And your sin, my sin, impacts us. It does. It does. And so there's great, great effects of it and then so they killed him and sent in it in death this is what james 1 14 and 15 says each one is tempted when by his own evil desire see that's like that little larva in the apple when he's tempted by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed then after desire has conceived see that's this whole process that's seeing that's coveting that's taking it gives birth to sin That's where temptation leads. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, when it's matured, gives birth to death. Sin ends in death. So what's death? Right? Death is being separated from someone you love. You know, from love. That's what happens when somebody dies. You're separated from them. And the future that you hoped for doesn't happen. I mean, that's, I'd say that's in the simplest forms, that's what it is. The relationship's cut off, and the hope, the dreams, the desires, the reality of that's not going to happen. That's, what's, that's why death is so painful, is that separation of relationship and then hope and the dreams and the desires. And, you know, that's what sin does. We see in this story, it's physical death. And, and guys, there's like stories in the New Testament of, it's not just Old Testament, there's, there's and I, I, we'll talk about this, but not today. Um, but there is, there's stories in the New Testament of people that died because of sin, physically died because of sin. But I know you and I, we don't always experience physical death because of sin. But we do experience a, a certain type of death. And it happens in two ways. It happens in relationships. 
And it happens in the future that we had hoped for doesn't, doesn't happen or is delayed. I mean, just think about it. Isn't that true in your life when there's sin? It cuts off relationship, not only with you and the Lord, right? It, it puts something between, I mean, it's that distance between you and Him. But then it puts it between you and, and whoever it is that, that is impacted by your sin, doesn't it? It cuts off that relationship. It breaks that relationship. It, it hurts that relationship. And unless there's you know, forgiveness and restoration like that, is, there's a death to that. And then there's a death or at least a delay to the purposes and the plans of what God had wanted in that situation. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to separate you. Right? He wants to separate you from, from the, the relationships that God has intended. He wants to bring destruction in that. And then he wants to keep you from what God wants to do in your life. And so, like, like we think we can like play around and it's not that big of a deal. But guys, sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. And we can't like just, just cover it up. We can't just like ignore it. And this, this passage, is, passage is in here for us to realize that, that we have to take it seriously because if we don't, there's this process. And it doesn't seem that bad at first, but the process ends in death and separation of relationships and, in, and, and even with the Lord, you know, the distance we, we experience with Him. And then the, what the Lord wants to do in our life, we just short, we shortcut. And where do shortcuts go? Right? They're dead ends. And that's, that's what happens in our, in, our, in our life. That's what happens. So there's a, there's a, I want to end this morning with a story. It's a legend. Um, if you're new to the Bible, this, this story is not in the Bible. So I just want to make sure you know that. So there's this man who came to this mountain. He wanted to climb this really tall mountain. And he didn't know how to get to the top of the mountain. And so at the base of the mountain... Uh, he discovered a talking rattlesnake, okay? So there's this talking rattlesnake, and the talking rattlesnake um, said, hey, where are you going? And the, and the gentleman said, well, I'm headed to the top of the mountain. And the snake goes, well, do you know how to get there? You ever been there before? And he goes, no, no, I don't. And the rattlesnake says, well, I've been there lots of times. I can get you there. I know exactly how to get there. Well, if you'll pick me up, if you'll carry me to the top, I'll show you how to get there. And the, and the gentleman says, well, I appreciate that, but there's no way I'm picking you up because you're a rattlesnake and you'll bite me and you'll kill me. So thanks, but no thanks. So rattlesnake says, I promise I won't bite you. It's, it's hard to slither all the way up to the top. That would, that's not what I want to do. I will refrain from biting you. I won't bite you because I want to ride to the top. And so the gentleman picks up the rattlesnake. Sure enough, the rattlesnake doesn't bite him. And so all the way up, the, uh, the rattlesnake gives him the instructions on how to get to the top. But as he gets to the top, he goes and he, as he's laying down the rattlesnake, as he's laying him down, what do you think the rattlesnake does? The rattlesnake, he bites him, doesn't he? He bites him. The rattlesnake bites him and he jumps back and goes, what are you doing? You promised you wouldn't bite me. I can't believe you bit me. Now I'm going to die on this mountain. And the rattlesnake goes, really? You're surprised I bit you? I'm a rattlesnake. That's what rattlesnakes do. We bite and we kill people. Why are you surprised? And isn't that true about sin? Why are we surprised when there's consequences of sin? Why are we surprised when things don't work out like we thought they were going to? Why are we surprised when, when there's death and destruction and breaking of relationships, when, when things don't go as we had hoped? Why are we surprised? Because that's what, that's what sin does. That's what sin does. But you know what? There's an antidote to that sin. There's an antidote to that snake bite. 
And that antidote is the blood of Jesus. That antidote is His grace, which He has sent for us, extended for us. That on the cross, when He shed His blood on Calvary, that the wrath of God was poured out on Him so that we didn't have to experience that against the sin that Jesus took for all of us, all of our sin, if we put our faith and our trust and our hope in Him. If we put our confidence in Him, if we put our life into Him, then Jesus paid the price for our sin. And we don't have to be afraid of that anger or that that judgment that comes on sin because Jesus took that judgment for us. He experienced the death of sin for each one of us. But we have to put our trust and our faith in Him and we have to walk in that forgiveness. We have to walk in that understanding of it. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at on, on, on the journey of life or on your spiritual journey. But, but if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, like today is the day. Today is the day to experience forgiveness, to experience restoration, to experience healing, because the path you're on will end in death. It'll end in eternal judgment and eternal death. But Jesus has provided a better way. That's why he came and he took that upon us. And if you're struggling with sin this morning, if there's something you're struggling with, I'm just don't bury it. Don't hide it. The Bible says that, that if, in James it says that if, we'll, that if we'll confess, or in John it says we confess our sins, he's faithful to restore us. But in James it also says that if we pray for each other, as we pray for each other, the sick are healed and sins are forgiven. That there's something about confession. There's something about not burying sin. There's something freeing about getting it out and open before the Lord and somebody else that you trust that just breaks, breaks the neck of that snake. It just breaks the neck of it. And so I want to challenge you this morning to not bury sin, to not hide from sin, to not pretend like it doesn't exist. Because John says, if anybody says they don't sin, bingo, bingo, ding, 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 wrong, you're a sinner, you sinned. Just then, you lied. Right? Like, we sin. That's what we do. We do it. Right? Daily, often at times, doesn't it, don't we? And so it's, and so, but God has a way. He's provided a way out, and that way is Jesus and His grace. Let's pray.